welcome back, Calm listeners. This is Methodical Millions, where you can better your future and better yourself. Cal, I'm super pumped today because we've got another guest on the show. Everyone, please welcome Bryant Sullentrop. Bryant, welcome to the show. How are you today? And what gets you excited about life? Hey, I'm doing pretty good. A lot of things get me excited about life. More recently, you know, growing our business and stuff like that. But we're also expecting a baby next month. So there's a lot on our plate. Life is busy, but it's really great. Thanks for asking. Congratulations twice. I think that's two things to really celebrate about it. Do you know if it's a boy or a girl? Yeah, it's going to be a boy. We're very excited. That's amazing. What's your story? How did you get into business? Was it always a passion of yours or you kind of fell into it? Sure. As far as my story, I always grew up in an entrepreneurial family. You could say my dad is in commercial real estate, but just managing more of the smaller portfolio and more in the property manager side. And so that being the family business, him and my granddad working together, I was around them a lot, seeing them talk to tenants, scraping gum off the sidewalks, helping replace windows, doors, or, you know, those kinds of things. So I got in pretty involved with them. Always the most fun was when we got to do demolition. If a new tenant was moving in, we needed to do a tear out from the old tenant. It was always fun to get out the sledgehammer. But yeah, when I was in high school, actually, I ran our school's website as part of a class that we took. And so I had to manage a team of Let's see, it was like three designers, three coders. We coded in HTML and CSS, three journalists. And so I had to like manage a team pretty early on and I had a lot of fun with that. So that taught me a lot of valuable things for a 17, 18 year old. And then when I went to college, I wanted to do more of that web design stuff just because I knew how to do it and I needed the side hustle for beer money. So I kind of you know, did that for a while. And then when I graduated, I just got a normal sales job. And then after that sales job for about a year, I really didn't like it. It wasn't really my cup of tea. And then when COVID happened, it kind of all came to a screeching halt because it was an outside sales role and we really weren't designed to, let's say, pivot and still continue to sell well. So when that happened, I thought I would start my own business. So that was last summer. And here we are about 12 months later, and it's definitely had its ups and downs. But overall, I'd say it's been really good for me and my family, our employees and everything like that. So that's just a little bit about my life and the story that got me here today. That's awesome. I love how you just saw an opportunity and ran with it. I mean, the whole thing with the website, was it just something that someone recommended to you or was it through a college professor? How did you actually land that gig? Um, Well, when I was in high school, I took a class like intro to HTML or something like that. And if you did well in the class, we could apply to be in a web team. And so then I applied and I was there as a graphic designer. And then after a year of doing that, I was actually in charge of the team. I got lucky that there was a class and that there was a teacher that kind of cared and was educating us on what at that time felt like cutting edge stuff. So yeah, I mean, that was just a cool experience. And then I kind of just took those skills and did some freelancing in college. And I mean, that just teaches you a lot. I think I remember the first project I did, I bid it for like 400 bucks or something. And I think I built that website over like four months. 
I mean, my effective hourly rate had to be like one to two dollars an hour. And this was, <laughs> and it was a complete mess. It was a shit show. Sorry for the swearing, but I did terrible. Didn't communicate with the customer well, didn't manage expectations, didn't get the correct documentation that I needed from them up front. But you know, you learn a lot of lessons by just kind of moving around and making things happen. All that kind of leads up to who you are today. I mean, it's fun to look back and see how you learned and how you got here. So the fact that you actually took that step as opposed to not taking it all or just talking about it is huge in my opinion. Absolutely kudos to you with that. It's been about a year now since you've been doing your own business and that's fantastic. And I think even though it's very unfortunate with what's happening with COVID, it's a matter of trying to take and seize opportunities here. This opens our eyes more, maybe gives us time to reflect or how we can improve and future-proof ourselves, if you like. So well done. Yeah, we had a guest on who was also freelancing and he was doing logos. So very similar process. You know, I've heard a saying, you don't know what you don't know. So $400, it might as well be a million dollars for any 20-year-old. Who is to say what the right price is? And I always think about in life, with that one little piece of freelancing, Without that, would you have been exactly who you are? Probably not. Would, you know, we'd be the same with our own shared experiences. So I think you have that curiosity and that drive to go try things. And I think it is rare. Great job because not everyone tries. You know, if people leaned into a little bit, what can I do with this? Can I make something out of it? Even if it's very small, I think that's the fundamental to micro business or personality. And this is the whole thing. How do you present yourself to the world? And one of my favorite sayings is not why, it's why not. And the more you ask why not, it's amazing what can happen. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. You do have to start somewhere. And you know, the thing about it is I've never been a great runner, but back when I did cross country, you're always competing against yourself. You know, I mean, if you just try and compete against other people, I mean, that can be really good. We're all on our own journeys here. And so it is true. I would encourage anybody that's thinking about starting something or thinking about getting into something or thinking about doing something for themselves, whether that's freelancing or starting a real business and getting some employees under you and those kinds of things and starting to leverage out your time a lot. I think that those are all like super valuable skills and add a lot of value to the world that way. So yeah, I mean, like you said, you do have to start somewhere. And I don't think I would be where I am today without the many lessons learned often the hard way, but you know, that's how you learn them. Yeah, you have a great perspective on life. A lot of things we talk about, life is a journey. It's not just one straight path that someone can tell you. You almost have to take one step at a time and it's gotta be your own steps if you wanna find it. And I find it's totally okay to not know and to not know what tomorrow brings. And that's almost part of the excitement. But if you have some little idea of like, I want to make a website for someone or I want to start a small business. All you got to do is try. It doesn't have to be a big thing. That's awesome. So can you tell us a bit about the beginning of a year ago? Was this business always in your mind or how did that spark come where you decided it's worth pursuing? Yeah. So if I haven't already said, the business I'm in now is janitorial services, which seems like a far cry from doing websites and all that kind of stuff. but what happened was I was selling soaps and things like that, like detailing products. I'm sure you guys are probably familiar with the guys that drive around and they'll wash people's cars on demand. Cool business. Those people make really good money. 
Some of them don't. Some of them probably barely scraping by. But I started to bump into these guys. A couple trips about to California or two, some trips to Vegas, and doing some sales. And many of these guys who are my age, often younger than me, maybe 22 at the time myself, some of these guys I was talking to were 19 and 20 years old, and they were washing cars with a handful of employees making $200,000 a year. And I thought to myself, what the hell is going on here? They didn't go to college. I went to college. I'm smart. I'm worth something. I know things. What I didn't realize is they're filling a need, you know? And so they had a little bit of leverage under them to some employees. And they really got things working for them. And I thought, man, their hourly rate, like I'm just a sales guy. You know, my effective rate is 20, 30 bucks an hour. How am I ever going to make as much money as them? And so then I did the math and, oh man, they're making $100 an hour. Now, looking back, realizing that they really weren't making $100 an hour because you've got a million expenses and a business and you've got insurance and payroll taxes and all kinds of things you have to pay for. But they were still doing extremely well for themselves as 19-year-old kids. And I thought, you know, I don't really want to do detailing, but I'm going to look around and see what other things that people are doing. And so, you know, I even asked the office cleaning staff at the company where I was working. I was like, hey, how often do you guys come to the office? And how long are you usually here for? I kind of like tailed them a little bit to see how many hours they were really putting in. And then I went to my manager and said, hey, do you know how much that they pay the cleaning staff? She's like, who are you talking about? <laughs> so kind of, you know, worked backwards from there and kind of got their hourly rate. And I'm thinking, man, they're still billing 40 to $50 an hour to do janitorial services. That's not a bad business. I could do that. And so then you go down the podcast rabbit hole of all the resources that are available online. A lot of people telling you it's super easy. Spoiler alert, it's not. But that's just what it takes. So then going down, like I said, that rabbit hole and starting my business, again, my web design skills came up a little bit and put my website up, put a contact form, those kinds of things. And in the midst of this, I knew because I got married last summer that I was going to be moving. So I moved to North Carolina and just started this business right when I got here. And so now we've got a handful of employees. We're doing about $15,000 a month in revenue, sometimes more, sometimes less, depending on how much one-off work we take. And that's kind of where we are now. Like I said, only a year into the business, so a lot to figure out, but many valuable lessons learned in, in my entrepreneurial journey, getting a little bit of, I wouldn't say proof of concept, because it's pretty obvious that the concept can work, but a taste of success. And sharing that on Twitter has been a lot of fun because that's opened up a lot of opportunity to speak to cool people like yourself and that kind of thing. I just want to say amazing. You're saying proof of concept, but you're literally living the dream that everyone dreams of who doesn't have their own business and you're still super young, your whole life ahead of you. It's just fantastic how far along this has come in a year, year and a half, two years, literally from saying, how come that person's doing this? How come I can't do this? How do I do it? And you plug in a couple small things, couple questions, just trying. And I think you said it right, which is it's not easy, but the influential dots that actually piece it together that get you to say, I'm going to push forward, I think are small. Like that one connection to the cleaning company saying, you know, I wonder how they do it was one thought. It was one question, you know, one contact. And that's almost all you need. So just amazing job so far. And did you go do the services yourself, which I think is common with a lot of small businesses, or did you maybe have an employee right away? I'm curious about what your first paying customer was like, because 
I think it's a good lesson to people about connecting the dots. How do they actually go from an idea to a real business with a dollar in the bank? Sure. Yeah. First paying customer. So what happened with that was, like I said, I dropped that website online and then somebody just stumbled through the contact form. I had a Google My Business listing up, but you know, it's not like selling on e-commerce. When you have a small local service business in a secondary market, it's not hyper competitive. You know, it's a little bit competitive and there's things you can do. And, you know, after a year, we're just now starting to kind of show up on the first page of Google. But my Google My Business listing popped up and filled out our contact form. And so I had actually had just some polos embroidered, you know, just a couple of them to look professional. So I show up to do the quote and they were happy. I put together this tiny little thing I printed off at Office Max, which is just like a little presentation booklet that I share. I've shared before on Twitter. And, you know, you just put their logo on it. You just put why we're better. And here's the checklist we're going to use. And just swing over to Office Depot or staples or whatever get that printed off and brought it back and we landed our first two thousand dollar a month customer and that was huge obviously because basically what that meant was i could pay let's say 70 percent of my living expenses 80 percent of my living expenses by just kind of doing the hustling and doing the cleaning myself and that cleaning was only so many hours a week and so i spent the rest of that time you know looking for new business starting to figure out how i would hire and those kinds of things. And it's a little bit of luck, but you also have to put yourself in the right position. So, you know, the website helped a lot. Obviously, if you can sell a little bit, you know, if you have the ability to put people at ease and show that you're professional, that goes a long way. There's an element of fake it till you make it. But at the same time, as many resources as you can consume to kind of leading up to that point to professionalize what you're doing is obviously a big asset. So that's our first customer. And, you know, when that $2,000, I got that first check, I was absolutely blown away. It's like, this has my name on it. You know? So that was incredible. And a handful of customers later, and we're going pretty strong. What a story. Well done, honestly. Because John and I both, we met actually years ago working together in sales. So I feel that I can talk for the both of us and see definitely that I believe sales experience does come in handy and it does help a lot in the situation, but it's experience that you take with you from your life and you are able to put that into your business. The fact that you all within a year's time moved to a different location, got married, you're expecting your child within next month and running a business full time. That is no small feat. I'm very impressed. So amazing. And the fact that you were able to capitalize on, I would like to assume that, like you mentioned, there's a bit of the sales aspect here that you're able to pitch yourself correctly. You know what to do. You know how to approach a potential customer and win their business and create value in what you do is really what we were talking about here and what you mentioned even with the detailers earlier on. The fact that you know there is a demand of some sort and you're able to inform the customer you actually need this and make them believe you create the value of you need it and I'm able to provide you the best possible service I can. And you're only a year into it, so amazing job. And is it safe to assume that you left your full-time job before you started the business? I left my job in probably May. So yeah, we figured it out. I wasn't working in the meantime. It was a little stressful, a little scary, but we got through it. 
I think there's different ways to do it. I think, you know, a lot of people can start it on the side and that's oftentimes the better option. If you go back to my tweets in maybe of December of last year, there was one where it pretty much tore me up because I was really frustrated because I was like, I mean, we are really not making as much money as I thought we would by this point. And so that was hard. But at the same time, I was young. I was 23, 24 at the time. So you figure it out. And I think we onboarded that first customer the week of our wedding which is hilarious, don't recommend. But I think there's different ways to do it. I think if you have a lot of family costs and things like that, you know, you can definitely do some things on the side, but there's something that happens when you commit to doing something full time. Because I think that there's this idea that we can all work 12 hours a day, which honestly I call bullshit on. Most of us have four to six hours a day of really good, solid, productive work. The rest of it is mostly sending emails, sending text messages, messing around, tweeting. And so, you know, if you think about that, after a whole long work day, there's really not a lot of time to build your business. So once you can, I encourage people to, you know, try and get out of their personal job and trying to get into whatever that business is that they want to build, which some things are just good for side hustles. But if you really want to build your business, I do tend to encourage people quit your job once you can, not too early, but definitely commit. Yeah, I want to jump in there. I've came from a 12 hour day, six day a week background, and we saw a bit of shrinkage with COVID, but I find that an employer's expectation is twofold. It's always not in a bad way, but you want to hire the most amount of talent for the least amount of money so that you have good employees in their pay range and what they're doing. And if they're going to grow your business, are they the right people? But there is a relentless expectation of improving your company. And I don't know the economics on a lot of businesses, but some hit a wall. If you pick something like our industry, like car dealerships, unless you copy and paste that model of buying more, you're going to hit a wall. You're not going to 5X your business out of one shop probably. So I think if you go on the individual employee level, why would you expect productivity to go up is a good point. And there's very few companies out there I find on the corporate level that actually have that internal sense of understanding. So an example, something like Netflix, who pays people to quit after they've trained if they're not a right fit, or Jeff Bezos does poetry in his boardroom meetings to kind of understand and articulate what they're trying to do. Most people will throw business meetings and they'll grind out the time and say, this is what's expected. And because people need a paycheck, they devote their 50, 60 hour weeks, high stress, always on, always kind of looking over their shoulder or am I doing things right? Playing the games of politics, understanding what can I do? And they're balancing their personal life. I think it is a little bit dysfunctional in the sense that are people self-actualized? Are they happy? Are they where they want to be? And I would say long-term, probably not. So the fact that you can break the mold and say, well, I could pull a CEO salary in under a year. Technically, yes, one may argue it's revenue, et cetera, et cetera. But go tell someone working at a fast food chain or at a retail outlet that they're going to make double the money in a year. They'll never believe that. They know that their income's fixed. They'll think, okay, I didn't go to college. I'm screwed. And I think that's the danger. So you're answering the question, which I think people should start thinking about, which is, what does opportunity look like around us? And number two, I think you just dispelled the biggest myth on work, which is 12-hour days 
is required. And not only that, let's say it takes you one or two hours to clean, hypothetically, even four max on your own, you're hustling, you're going to make more than you did a whole day. And you don't have to deal with any of those things I mentioned. So I'm glad we're talking about this because I think it is a myth. It is not true that you have to do things a certain way. Yeah, I think there's a lot of glorifying the hustle, grinded out culture. And trust me, I've grinded it out. And I think there's some merit to that. You know, you do have to make sacrifices in the short term to get better results in the long term. I mean, I'm just in the beginning of my journey, and that's definitely the case. You're still making sacrifices. But at the end of the day, you've only got so much to give, and you also have to live your life, not just wish it away. So I think balance is underrated. Hustle porn gets clicks. Not caring about business at all or just doing your own thing and just focusing on your hobbies or travel or whatever, that gets clicks. But like just living a balanced life where you're spending some time building, some time working, some time resting, some time with family, that doesn't get any clicks. <laughs> like that doesn't get people's attention. That doesn't get people excited. But not only is it the most fulfilling, in my opinion, but it's also the most sustainable long term. I mean, if you do the 70, 80 hour weeks, you burn out. Like if you just do those all the time, you're going to burn out. So again, once you figure out a way to make more money doing something on the side than you're doing at your day job, might not be a bad idea to just stack some cash for a little bit and then quit that day job and then really commit and focus. Now, I think I want to add a caveat to that. In the age of the internet, depending on what you're doing, that might not be the case. There's some people that do things on the side that make more money than their day job, but still only take a couple hours a day. And so, you know, maybe they don't need to quit their day job. But ultimately, everyone has to figure out what's best for themselves. And nobody going to be the sole source of truth. No guru is going to tell you exactly how you should be living your life. I think a lot of people would not want my life where we're doing janitorial services, working with relatively low wages for our team members. It's not easy. And so it's probably not going to generate a ton of clicks and stuff, but it's provided a really good life for my family. And yeah, I mean, if I just took out the profits and the earnings from my business and didn't try and reinvest it, yeah, I'd be making twice what I was making last year already. And that's obviously huge. And so it has a huge impact on my family. And my time commitment to my business is becoming less and less. That's the cool thing about leverage, obviously, is over time, if you're doing it right and you're actually delegating correctly, on a good week, I'm only spending five to 10 hours a week on my business, but we continue to make just as much money, if not more. So what does that mean? That means that I can make more money than I had at my day job, work 20 to 30% of those hours. I can spend more time with my family. I do more things that I love. I like to play disc golf. I like to go to the gym. And those kinds of things, which honestly are really hard to fit into a normal work day. And so it's a pretty good life. But like I said, I'm also working on some side projects and always building. Yeah, I think that's the secret there, which is passion about the process. And once you get a little bit ahead, you're not squeezing out an incremental dollar. You're appreciating life. You're appreciating what's around you. I think that resonates more with people. It makes you a better person. You know, I bet you're a better employer to work for than many out there because of that, because you have that human side to you and that compassion. So I would argue that giving someone a job as a small business where your business didn't exist a year ago is empowering because they would have to go to 
Indeed or Kijiji and find that business out there. And you are giving someone a livelihood, whether it's hard or not, for whatever reason, they decided, yeah, I'm going to work here. So I think it is empowering. I think it is a good thing. And the fact that you can already have employees delegate and kind of balance it out where it's almost working on an autopilot, I'm sure there's hiccups and things where you got to do site visits or spot checks and follow up. But I guess what I'm trying to say is you built a car, you built a well-oiled machine that's working, it's stable. And then all of a sudden, if you want to copy and paste and add an employer to, I'm sure you just turn on some ads or make some calls and ask for referrals. And all of a sudden, you are in the driver's seat, you can grow. And I think that's the beauty of business, which is if you're working your 50, 60 hour weeks, someone can cut you off life support and say, no, nah, we don't want you anymore. Doesn't matter how long you've been there. When you rent your time, I promise you, your skills are not improving fast enough or you're not trying new things, which means you're underpaid, you're under your market rent. So even if you're quote unquote good, you can be an executive at a big company, but that leaves the question, could you be doing more? And I think if you're exactly like you said, if you're not trying a side hustle or keeping your mind sharp, using that to grow, I think everyone out there is selling themselves short. It's not for everyone, but I will say there is a lot of opportunity. I think if a lot of people want to sit home and be upset because there is an opportunity or they don't feel like they have a chance to grow in their career and their livelihood, I'm sorry, but they're wrong. There's a lot of opportunity in the world. And if you want to get after it and go get some of that, it's definitely there. It's there for the taking. There's plenty of people that don't want to do the work. There's a lot of people who would talk. There's a lot of people who would say they can do this or say they can do that, but they don't do the work. I mean, how many times have I had somebody come up to me and say like, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. Or they send me a DM. Yeah, I'm going to do this project. And then I asked them a few months later, hey, whatever happened to this course you were going to build or this cleaning company that you were going to start? And they're just like, ah, I'm going to get bored. Or I didn't really want to do it. And I mean, I'm not going to say it's easy, but there's a thinning out. Only the people who are really committed, who really want to work hard, who really want to get things done, like those people are the ones who have success, at least in the service-based businesses. You can get lucky with an NFT. There's probably people who have made a lot more money this year than me selling some JPEGs. But truth be told, that's luck in a lot of cases. But two, that doesn't mean there is an opportunity for you. And selling some online art can feel impossible. But I think everyone should know that you can start a small business and be fairly successful, create a fairly decent life for yourself. And then maybe it's not the thing you're most passionate in the world about. Do you think I've ever wanted a janitorial in my life? Not really, but it's meaningful work. We employ good people. We clean for schools. We provide a good environment for those schools. There's just a lot of value in what we do. It's not just about the money. It's about the people. It's about the work that we do. So that opportunity is out there for the people that want it. Yeah, I actually wanted to make a point earlier about this. So when you take a service-based business and you take someone talented who has sales, web experience, and the motivation to do well, the fact that it's not a sexy business, I think, helps in pretty much any case because the competition is not even on par. Even though they're out there, I don't think they're as professional. They're maybe not as punctual. They maybe don't communicate as well. They maybe don't explain what they're going to do, maybe fulfill their end of the bargain and actually show up. We've talked about that before, just how many contractors don't show up. And the same way someone says on Twitter, I'm going to build this and then 
give up. I think people are like that too. I think contractors and employees somehow get in that rut. And I think just being consistent in your business is important. So great job there. And let's talk about Twitter or just connecting with people. I think talking out loud, not just maybe saying I'm going to be a millionaire, but you're saying I'm going to do this and talk to five people. One person might say, hey, I know someone in this business. Why don't you go talk to them? Or they might give you an idea that helps you along the way. So I think I'm a fan of not just false preaching, but just talking out loud. And it's not just some thing that's stuck in your head that you never do. And then 20 years later, which is a lifetime, you're going to say, oh, well, I had that idea. I never did it, right? How many people have that life and never leave their job? So good for you. Thanks, man. I absolutely agree with you. More people should take the shot with whatever it is that they want to do. I think there's a lot of business ideas that are like oversaturated and it's going to be a lot harder to find success. Don't get me wrong. But on the flip side of that, you're going to learn a lot. And my whole thing with this business, but huge part of it was just learning, figuring out how to hire employees, figuring out how to do their paperwork, figuring out how to run payroll, figuring out how to do accounting. For all the things I learned in my business school classes, I was an economics major. I took a lot of business school classes, but you know, until you're really using them and in the context of a small business and you know, really understanding how those pieces all fit together from the marketing and the sales to the bookkeeping and the accounting and the taxes and the employees, dismissing employees and disciplinary action with employees and hiring employees. There's a lot of pieces of the puzzle that I've learned a ton about. And I think a lot of people, if they just get out there and get some exposure, because now I'm in this industry, I see so much opportunity. I see opportunity to build janitorial software. I see opportunity to help other janitorial businesses sell. I see opportunity to help people start janitorial businesses. I see opportunity for payroll companies to better service the employees and the way that they're communicating with employees about their paycheck. But like none of that exists without first taking a step and just trying something. You know, it's way too easy to just be complacent in the thing that you're doing. And that's why if I wouldn't have started this business, I wouldn't be talking to you guys right now and just getting more exposure to cool people out there doing cool things. That's the thing is there are people that grow up and retire and not do what you've done so far. So the fact that, like you said, practicing the business itself or trying to learn things, like you say, payroll and accounting and running the business and hiring process. And there's a lot of logistics that's come into this. So I come also from an accounting and finance major. And even though I did very well academically, I never learned as much as I did once I actually put things into practice, when I started learning about my own financials and trying to improve my living standards financially, professionally. And that really, really made me learn because now it's about practice. The fact that you actually put yourself out there is much bigger than what it is. And sometimes we'll get the satisfaction of doing it without actually doing it. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, I think you really do have to get started. And I think something that you highlighted earlier was that especially if you start with a service-based business or if you start with something that makes sense to have employees in, if you're a real estate agent or if you're an insurance agent, it's pretty tough to scale yourself in any capacity. But the good thing about janitorial or like cleaning like I'm in is I can't scale myself beyond what I can clean in one day. You know, you max out pretty quick. So then you realize you got to hire help. And then the secret is 
hire that help and then wean yourself out of the business. Because what most people do and you say that contractors show up late or contractors don't call back, it's because they're still working in the business. That's the main issue. And I would just advise people to slowly build a strong service business and delegate appropriately, whether that's with virtual assistants, which we also use, or whether that's with W-2 employees or subcontractors, but build out a model that makes sense and eventually gets you to only working 10 or 20 hours a week. So that you can do the other things that you want to do in your life, not just constantly being on the grind, working 60, 70 hour weeks because life's too short. And I don't think that most people that are hopping into something like this, that is their goal. So make yourself a priority. Not everything has to be sacrificed at the altar of growing your business. Yeah, I think you had the understanding of short term versus long term. And I'm going to use you as an example. What you learned in six months or eight months or a year of sales is probably 60, 80% of the job. And some of the best advice I heard was from Kevin Systrom, the founder of Instagram. He had said, do enough to be dangerous. He basically failed out of coding school and still built a huge company because the learning was more important than being the best. It wasn't about ego. It wasn't about trying to tell everyone, like you said, how good you are. It was more about, well, what's the critical next step to learn? And I think when you apply that understanding of I'm going to clean myself for now, learn it start to finish, customer-facing expectations, did I do a good job, and then I know how to train, and then you know how to oversee, you know, you're grinding it for 60 hours, let's say that week, but then all of a sudden, you add two employees, and then they're doing the work, and the free time's back, all of a sudden, you did jump up a level, you did exactly what you set out to do, which was hit that milestone of get your paying customer, making sure they're happy. Make sure they're going to reuse your service for the next month, recurring revenue. And then you go, okay, well, how do I hire my first contractor or employee? And then make sure they're doing a good job. And then you, on paper, take a margin hit. But I always say that the way to grow is more money or more time back. And of course, on paper, someone might say, okay, you're sacrificing your margins. But no, you got all your time back to do all the stuff you wanted to do, live a life and what happens when you have your full week back? You could actually go back to the drawing board and copy and paste the model you just did. And there's no reason why your business won't double in the next 12 to 18 months. It's just a matter of plugging and playing what you did. That's why I'm so impressed by all this because it's just so well put together. You have such a good understanding. And again, it's just by the fact of learning and doing is the best education you're ever going to get. And you're so humble about it too. That's, I think, what's going to take you very far. And yeah, I'd love to hear more as it grows. Would you say that you went for one or two employees right away? Or what was that process like? You've got your customer. How soon did you actually say, I'm going to get an employee? And what was that process like? Um, I think we onboarded that first customer in August. And then I made my first real legit interviews and things in the fall. But I don't think I made my first legit hire until maybe January. And I was doing a lot of the work myself in that fall, mostly, you know, to stack up some cash and then also just figuring it out because I didn't know how to hire. And honestly, I should have done it sooner. If I was advising somebody, I'd say hire somebody within the first month. You'll figure it out. But, you know, there's just a lot of nerves. A lot of that was even before I really even like was on Twitter. I didn't know other people were out there doing things like this. I thought I was weird, alone, you know. So honestly, Twitter was a huge motivating factor for me. And it really helped me turn things up this past spring and just have that confidence that I need. If other people are doing this, I can do it. And then that helps to make that higher. So 
Yeah, I made the first handful of hires since January. So I think a lot of that also had to do with just COVID and a lot of people weren't working. And, you know, I'm sure you know, unemployment benefits and different things. It was just a weird time last year. So doing a lot of the work myself was the right way to go about it for me at the time. But yeah, in January, it turned up and employees, it's one thing when you think all your systems are good when you're doing them yourself, but then you try and give them to someone else, you realize all the holes in your systems. And that's actually a huge benefit of bringing on employees or virtual assistants is you see all the holes in your systems and processes. You realize how poor of a business you're actually running. And so people need to see employees as an advantage instead of I can do it myself. Not only is it better financially to have employees do the work, but it actually will build a less fragile business for you. And now coming down the pipe, we've got our employees and our supervisors that are going to take care of things, though, that in October, I'm not sweating a cleaning job when I'm trying to spend some time with my son. And so it's all within the realm of possibility. I think a lot of people could have done this twice as fast as I did. They had the resources. So if anybody needs any help with getting one of these up and running, I'm happy to help as much as I can. I don't do any like consulting or anything like that for now, but there's a lot of lessons you learn. And when you're learning them the hard way, it takes a little bit longer. But yeah, that's kind of where we are. I mean, things are going really well and we continue to try and hire as much as we can because honestly, if you're doing good work and you're a good contractor, the reality of the situation is your limit will not be sales. Your limit will not be the businesses you could serve, but your limit will be your ability to onboard good employees and retain them. Yeah, well said, because you're only as good as the employee in front of you. In my day job, when I talk to employees, it's always that you are the face of the brand. So your employee is the face of the cleaning service. And if someone has a bad experience because your employee missed something, that reflects on your company. So very good points. That's awesome. And do you have a longer term goal? Should people who get to your stage think about that? Or maybe as a different question, what's the best way to find balance in your life? now that you run a full-time business? Um, I think there's different scales that people can run a business like this and still see some success. I mean, just depends on where you are and what you're doing and what your margins are and what kind of work you're taking on. But at $2 million a year in revenue, you could be making a few hundred thousand dollars a year and have the managers in place and be pretty hands-off with the business. And when I say pretty hands-off, I mean like all the way hands-off. And honestly, if you doing some of the work yourself, like if you don't mind that, you could make even more than that if you're financially motivated, if that's your main driving factor, or if that's very important to you, which I mean, for a lot of people, honestly, it just is I'm like, I want to have a fairly large family. It's not cheap. So those are kinds of the things that I think about. Personally, I'm not sure. I mean, I've done a lot of research and looking around at different opportunities that are presenting themselves and just different things I could be involved in. I'm probably going to put together some resources for folks around hiring virtual assistants just because they've been so valuable for our business and I constantly getting questions from people about them. And so I'm probably going to have some resources about that. So that might become a little side business that I'm working on as well, but we'll keep going with this janitorial business as long as it's good to us. So in the meantime, making good money with not a ton of hours during the week. Yeah, that's awesome. Good for you. And can I ask a clarifying question? So by virtual assistants, do you mean people around the world being tech support? Or do you mean these modern day chatbot style services where you can kind of do like a if then statement? And if someone says, I need help with this, and then it auto responds? 
Most questions in home services businesses are probably too complex for like an automated system. Or you'd probably be poorly served if you tried to get a customer that you love and appreciate to use a chat bot. I mean, I think that a lot of, you know, that personal touch goes a long way. And so, yeah, I mean, when I say virtual assistant, I mean, we've got people in the Philippines that help us with a number of things, scheduling our employees, whether that's communicating with our employees about different things, answering their questions. Obviously, we do FAQs and we do as much automations as we can, but you can even use a virtual assistant as an outbound sales to help you with some cold emailing and things like that, which you start to do things like that and you really add jet fuel to a fire. And for the price of six to $700 a month, you can have a virtual assistant working for you full time as opposed to running six to $700 of Google ads you know, you might get one or two solid leads in that month. In our business, one VA can generate 10 to 15. So those are the kinds of things I think in a world that's constantly being bombarded with more automations, that kind of human touch and going the extra mile can really help out small businesses. So they're either doing customer service questions or they're helping, you know, with employees or they're doing some outbound sales. I personally always appreciate talking to someone, even on a chat, not talking to a robot, right? So I completely agree there. It means that much more. It personalizes their questions and the service that they're getting. And it shows that there's someone on the other side of the screen that's genuinely trying to help them. So you also bring a good point. You know where you can shift your resources. So the fact that you have your numbers in line and you know that if I get to this target in terms of revenue, then I will be able to turn my basically full-time business that I'm trying to grow into a source of passive income. And with all the extra time that you have, even though you spend it with family and friends and doing the things you love, you might actually have extra time that you'll find another opportunity because you've learned so much growing this business into something else. And that's really the idea of how entrepreneurs really work hard and grow their dreams and their passions is because they were able to do that and then replicate it, as John mentioned earlier. So it's a good point that you mentioned in terms of having the customer service. And are they available at certain times or is it because they're offshore, they're available around the clock? Yeah, it just depends on what use case you want for your business. So like I have one VA that works US hours because it's just a lot more convenient for me. And she loves it. She has a little baby who's like a few months old. So she's like, he's up during the middle of the night anyways. I'm like, okay, great. You can take breaks whenever you need to take care of your baby. It's totally fine as long as all the work gets done and the questions get handled. So that situation kind of works out fine. You know, the other option is you can kind of go to South America and you could find some virtual assistants and some people that speak great English, but would be in your own time zone. Or, I mean, it really doesn't matter when they're on the clock, if they're doing something like setting up a bunch of cold emails to go off, doing outbound sales. Well, in that case, it doesn't really matter what hours they work as long as the job gets done. That's awesome. It's really opening my eyes to, as you said, delegate and leverage. You're leveraging parts of the world where, as I said, at the end of the day, someone's saying yes to your job, it's empowering them. And maybe it's twice as good as a job that they'd have to do manual labor back home and maybe have long-term adverse health effects. So I'm all for it. I think it's awesome. And is there like a place that's an indeed for the VAs or is it all through your own silos that you found? Yeah, if you go to my Twitter, there should be a link in my bio that'll take you there. I mean, that's the best website in my opinion. It's called Online Jobs PH. 
You can also just look it up. But if you go there, that's basically a job board, Philippines specific, and Filipinos can put their jobs that they're looking for. They can put the resumes up or you can post a job. And actually, one quick word of advice on that is that Filipino culture tends to be fairly timid. So if you're looking for someone to do something that might be a little bit more outbound salesy, maybe don't word it as that, word it as like more of like a customer service representative, because there's mega corps in the US and, and different parts of the country that have been using call center employees in the Philippines for the last 30 years, probably. So it's not a new thing. A lot of the employees that I've seen over there in the Philippines, you know, they're used to working for American companies. They may have been working for one for the last 10 years. So yeah, just some things to think about with that initially is it's something that I'm very excited about. You know, it can help a lot of people. You know, small businesses, the big issue is people expect Amazon and Uber level service at Amazon and Uber level prices, which are pretty low, which makes it hard for contractors and people like myself to really like compete you know, in that world, it's difficult. But if you are able to cost some costs and leverage offshore labor, it can be a really helpful way to improve your business. Yeah, that's awesome. And I did see the link tree on there on your bio. We'll put it in our show notes. And anytime you're working on a new project, we'd love to hear from you. Definitely come on back. It sounds like you're always got something brewing, which is awesome. Awesome. This has been a lot of fun hanging out with you guys for an hour. See you in the Twitter sphere. Thanks, Brian. Have a good one. You too. Bye. So with that said, let's wrap up today's episode. Thank you for listening to another episode of Methodical Millions, where you can better your future and better yourself. Thanks, everyone.